Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, it looks like Justin Trudeau is building himself quite the swank summer uh, residence, including a treehouse with its very own zip line, and maybe even a helicopter landing pad to boot. And guess what, folks? You are funding this extravagance. Sheila Gunn-Reed shall explain all. And a new abacus poll indicates that only 25% of Albertans give the Justin Trudeau Liberals an approval rating, whereas a whopping 57% disapprove. Yet some media outlets are claiming that those who disapprove of Justin are motivated by racism, misogyny, and homophobia? What the heck? Kian Beckstay will try to make sense of it all. And Ben Davies drops by to explain how network TV coverage of New Year's Eve celebrations devolved into a truly vulgar affair, rife with talking heads still afflicted with Trump derangement syndrome. Oh, Dick Clark, how we miss you dearly. And finally, we get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day, and I'll share some of the letters we received regarding my commentary about a progressive Toronto neighborhood that is absolutely aghast at the prospect of a daycare operation setting up. Yep, suddenly the same people who condemn NIMBYism are now subscribing to it. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. But some of the demands are sort of petty and a little ridiculous. For example, look at this line item here, potable water. To improve the quality of the drinking water, Canadians paid $3,500. Now, if the drinking water was bad and undrinkable, of course, we want that fixed. But that's not what the problem was. If you go up to page 47, you can see that the problem was that the water was, quote unquote, too soft for the Trudeau. So taxpayers spent $3,500 so that the drinking water was hard enough for the likings of delicate Mr. Trudeau. But in all of this, I see that Trudeau has aspirations of live action role playing as a farmer, but he doesn't want to actually do any of the hard work. The first inkling I get that Trudeau might want to be a farmer is here on page 48, where bureaucrats are looking into regulations regarding livestock on the property. God help the livestock. Now, right here on page 49, you can see that Trudeau insisted on becoming a bee farmer. Now, to get the bees, two hives actually, all set up, it cost $9,000. And then it's going to cost $3,000 every single year going forward to keep Trudeau's novelty dreams of running an apiary alive because the work is now being contracted out. Further to Trudeau's agricultural dreams, Taxpayers spent $4,000 to build him an organic garden, and then we get to pay $2,000 every single year going forward to pay someone else to garden the garden for him because we can't have his nails getting dirty, even though we made the water harder for him so that it's a lot more fun for him to wash his hands. Oh, and then taxpayers spent a total of $13,500 to repair the garden fence, which will be used to keep the deer from eating Trudeau's expensive organic garden. And then we get into some of the more ridiculous demands, if that were even possible, of Canada's man-child prime minister. Trudeau wants a treehouse. 
but not just any treehouse. He wants one with a zip line. To be fair, it's unclear who ended up paying for the treehouse in the end, but the email discussing the construction of the treehouse reads, met on site regarding the treehouse. The contractor mentioned, there's a zip line too. I explained the safety and civil engineers needed to see the plan. So even if Justin Trudeau actually sprung for the treehouse himself, now we've got government safety and civil engineers examining the plans, and I can't imagine that that runs cheap. Hey folks, it ain't easy being a trust fund baby come prime minister. I mean, one gets quickly accustomed to a particular lifestyle, as in the lifestyles of the rich and infamous. For example, when it comes to the PM's summer residence, there are numerous watercrafts Justin has taken a fancy to, and there's that pressing need for an organic garden. Oh, and there's that treehouse with its own zip line, of course. And while Trudeau has taken a dim view of President Trump wanting to build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border, Justin has absolutely no reservations about building a $13,000-plus fence on his property. All the better to keep the riffraff out of that organic garden. And best of all, as far as the Trudeau clan is concerned, <laughs> all of this whiz-bang groovy stuff is being paid for by you, the hapless taxpayer. Because apparently, when it comes to being an ever-entitled Trudeau, to quote the American Express tagline, membership has its privileges and with more on the pm's summer home spending spree is the host of the gun show sheila gunn reed welcome to rebel roundup and a happy new year to you my friend same to you david thank you for having me always a pleasure so sheila for starters i'm scratching my head here justin is spending taxpayers money on himself at a rate that would make a drunken sailor blush, yet this is the same guy who last year claimed that injured military veterans are asking for too much money? What the hell gives here? Well, and it's all novelty stuff too. It's crazy things like he has these dreams of being a farmer. When I was reading through the access to information documents, at one point I saw bureaucrats nattering back and forth the way government bureaucrats do, talking about having livestock on the property and that scared me. So <laughs> I kept reading and he had them install an apiary. He wants to be a bee farmer. Um, the taxpayers paid uh, several thousand dollars for him to have two hives installed on the property, which is over and above what bees cost because you can get them down at the PV Mart if you order them in March. And then we're also contracting a beekeeper to take care of them in, I guess, perpetuity. We also paid to install an organic garden for him. Again, several thousand dollars and then several thousand dollars every single year because heaven forbid uh, the Lady Trudeau run out there and yank some weeds away from her organic onions. And then 13 and a half thousand dollars to build a fence to keep the deer away from the organic garden that the Trudeaus aren't even tending. And then, you know, you, you talked about the treehouse. He's having a treehouse installed. It's not clear from the documents who paid for the treehouse. But I know that Canadian taxpayers did pay for the environmental assessment around the treehouse and then the hazard risk assessment from civil engineers regarding 
the zip line that he wants installed on his mega treehouse. One of the funny things I found, though, in the documents was that he wanted a tree swing installed somewhere on the property. But you could see the the bureaucrats nattering back and forth because they wanted to find a tree strong enough, which leads me to believe oh, no. that it's not the Trudeau kids using the tree swing. It's oh, probably no. Trudeau himself. Oh, my God. You know, Sheila, a couple of things from what you just said. Um, first of all, when you refer to uh, Lady Trudeau, uh, removing the weeds from the organic garden. Are we talking about weeds such as thistles and dandelions or weeds such as the base product for the wacky tobacco that is now legal in Canada? And secondly, who in blue hell is having beehives on their property unless you're a beekeeper, a professional beekeeper? Forgive my ignorance, Sheila, but is there a honey shortage in uh, the uh, greater Ottawa area right now? You know, I'm from the honey capital of Canada. So if they want <laughs> honey, they can get it from Alberta. We would love to give the rest of the country honey the way we would love to give them oil and gas. Uh, you know, I don't know what's in the organic garden. It wasn't clear, but I did express some concern for Justin Trudeau's brain cells in my uh, video because we did pay a pretty hefty cost to repaint one of the garden sheds that's on the property at Harrington Lake because they were removing the lead paint. And I think it cost about $5,000 to remove the lead paint. But Trudeau's a guy who cannot spare a single brain cell. So, you know, I would spare no cost to remove lead paint at Harrington Lake. That's one of the things I think that we should do for the good of the country. You know, Sheila, um, since you mentioned that Alberta is the honey capital of Canada, I, I'm just wondering if uh, if we proposed a pipeline for honey uh, to be transported, <laughs> if that would get through all the regulatory hurdles uh, other than that, you know, demonic uh, oil that, that always seems to be stymied. But uh, I digress. You know, just breaking today, uh, I'll hold up this paper. It's... Um, Justin Trudeau on the front page of The Sun wearing a beanie cap with a propeller on top of it. And the story <laughs> is about uh, heavily redacted um, uh, pages in, in an FOI search that The, the Sun did um, indicating that it looks like the, there might be a helipad uh, being uh, installed on this uh, increasingly palatial uh, cottage, even though the airport is a mere 25-minute drive away from this cottage. He's, he's hardly in the hinterland of Tatayatuk. You know, Sheila, I mean, it's yet more excess, as far as I can tell. And I'm just wondering why this isn't getting picked up by the mainstream media. I hearken back to the days when the media lost their minds about the Mike Duffy scandal, which totaled, what, $92,000. And yet this, he gets a pass on this. What's your take on that? It is absolutely the mainstream media bias that allows Trudeau to get away with the excesses at Harrington Lake and really anywhere else in his life. Let's look at one of the other prime ministerial residences, uh, the main residence at 24 Sussex. True, excuse me, Harper couldn't even change the wallpaper there because someone would be scrutinizing his expenses and it would seem as though Trudeau or, or Harper at the time was trying to enrich himself and and turn it into a palace for his family. 
um, he realized that there were very serious negative optics for a conservative to upgrade these prime ministerial residences to the point that that place is a little bit dilapidated now. Whereas Trudeau knows that he can absolutely get away with anything he wants to at the prime ministerial residences. I found an email where Trudeau himself was there for the original meeting with the groundskeepers and the people in charge of official residences. These were demands that he was making, specifically him, for his family at this official residence. I found an email where they talk on and on about upgrading the ice surface at Harrington Lake. It costs taxpayers $2,000 to upgrade the ice surface, but that ice surface was used so infrequently, they didn't have skates for anybody at Harrington Lake. They were running around trying to borrow them because I guess when you're the prime minister, you can pay bureaucrats to borrow skates and find free skates for your family, while at the same time, you're in the House of Commons repealing the child fitness tax credit to help the rest of us offset the cost of skates for our kids. Great point, and I know you made that point in your commentary too, Sheila, and I think what really rubs people the wrong way is that this is not a family lacking in resources. They're millionaires. Yeah. They can afford all of this, and they should pay for it. These are entitlements, you know, to improve, you know, their summer getaways. And I, I, I'm just wondering, Sheila, if this has legs as the year moves on. I know October is an eternity away, uh, being 10 months from now. But um, do you think this sort of stuff is going to get more coverage and it's going to stick to them, or is this just going to, uh, you know, deflect off the prime minister and it'll, it'll be forgotten by next week? Well, I guess um, it, the difference would be whether or not the opposition conservatives bother to run with this. I mean, when we have Justin Trudeau saying that he's an advocate for the middle class and those trying to become middle class all the time. That's his major talking point. Um, it, it sure makes him look like a hypocrite and a bald-faced liar when he does these sorts of things. So I guess it remains, um, it, it remains to be seen, but $600 million in, uh, in a subsidy from Justin Trudeau for the mainstream media sure buys a lot of silence. Oh, it sure does, Sheila, and it's only going to get worse as the election cycle uh, pick, kicks in uh, full time. Listen, we have to wrap it here. I go back to what I said in my opening preamble. Uh, the audacity of this individual when he claims that people that put their lives on the line, true patriots fighting for Canada, asking for too much to cover medical expenses while he you know, lives high on the hog at a summer residence using our money. It is absolutely egregious. So great work uncovering all those documents, Sheila. I know you'll have more for us in the, uh, the weeks and months ahead. I will. There's so much more to this access to information document. Indeed. Thank you so much. Folks, that was Sheila Gunn-Reed from Alberta and keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Abacus Data just released a poll and the results were from the end of 2018 and they summarized Canadians' opinions of Justin Trudeau and his government. Not to most people's surprise, only a quarter of Albertans approve of the Trudeau government. That is of course contrasted by the much higher support in Eastern Canada, but was 
what was perhaps the most interesting was that 57% of Albertans outright disapprove of the Trudeau Liberals. Of course, this didn't make the mainstream media very happy. The Star Metro Edmonton reported on these numbers and made sure to characterize Albertans who didn't support Justin Trudeau as well racists. Not only that, according to Star Metro Edmonton, Albertans who didn't don't approve of Justin Trudeau and his government think women's issue issues are a joke and ran some mental gymnastics to connect a vague question about homosexuality being a choice to people's opinions on the performance of the government. I wonder how big the check is that Justin Trudeau cut to the Star Metro Edmonton because this was some real hard-hitting journalism right there. <laughs> Astonishing. Not the fact that the Trudeau Liberals have a woeful 57% disapproval rating in Wild Rose Country, but the fact that some Alberta media are chastising Albertans for having the temerity to express such a negative opinion. Again, absolutely astonishing. And joining me now with more on these poll results and the media spin job is Kian Bexday. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Now, Kian, for starters, uh, being disapproving of the Trudeau Liberals is apparently an act of racism. Can you kindly explain to us how the Star Metro Edmonton came to such an inexplicable conclusion in the first place? Well, it was a bunch of mental gymnastics from what I could see. They, they threw around a bunch of numbers and a bunch of... Uh, weird questions that they asked, like, do you think uh, being gay is a choice? And then somehow they connected that question to, do you approve of Justin Trudeau and his government? Uh, and they, they, it's hard to explain their methodology in figuring this out because it was so confusing, but they, they said because more Albertans said, answered one question positively than and answered the Justin Trudeau question more positively, that some, somehow correlated, indicating that for sure 100% Albertans are, are racist, Albertans are misogynist, Albertans are homophobic. It was, it was ludicrous. You know, that, that's amazing, and it's unethical. It's the kind of flawed logic, Kian, that, um, I mean, this is the kind of, you know, flawed, disingenuous, logical process that they're coming to when they, you know, cherry-pick certain uh, facts and, uh, you know, present that as a, uh, a newsworthy conclusion. But what I found amazing is that um, later in your uh, video, and I urge our viewers to go see it in its entirety, you went out onto the streets and asked Albertans, um, you know, what do you think of these approval and disapproval ratings? And the most common uh, answers that I heard Every day, working Albertans say they're, they're upset with the higher taxes, uh, the, the lower Canadian dollar, and the fact that the Alberta economy is being stymied by pipeline paralysis. So what I'm saying, uh, Kian, didn't sound like a whole bunch of misogynists and homophobes and racists attending a KKK convention. At least it didn't to me. It sure isn't. Uh, you know, Alberta. In Alberta, we're we're upset about a few things, right? We're upset that we can't get our our uh, natural resources to tidewater to sell them to international markets. We're upset that uh, the federal government is taxing us uh, with a carbon tax that doesn't do anything uh, environmentally. It's just economic pain. Uh, those are the things that we're upset about. It has nothing to do with. Uh, I'll read out one of their questions. 
they said, are you fed up with all of the emphasis on promoting women's interests? And they said, would you feel better if there were no Muslims here? That's that's not something that crosses <laughs> Albertans' minds. See, we care about pipelines. We care about our economy. Uh, and Justin Trudeau is just failing on that. And that's why you see those poll numbers. Frankly, a lot of the people that I talked to were surprised that they were as good as they were. Uh, they said that 25% was too high. So uh, Abacus data might have some explaining to do. Personally, I'm surprised by that figure, uh, Kian, to tell you the truth, that uh, it's a 25% approval rating. But you know, um, the Star Metro Edmonton, I, I, know, I don't know anything about the people there. Uh, obviously, this is part of the Tor Star Corporation that's uh, centered in Toronto. Um, I'm just wondering what, what kind of influence does it have? Because I just find, you know, their coverage of this poll so condescending and um, downright insulting to Joe and Jane Albertan by saying, because you don't uh, adore the Trudeau liberals, therefore there's a undercurrent of racism or homophobia or misogyny here. I mean, does this newspaper have any currency in Alberta? Well, I don't know about Alberta, but when you have an Albertan uh, newspaper, the Star Edmonton, capital city of Alberta, uh, and someone reads an article like this in BC, perhaps, or uh, or Ontario or Quebec, then it stereotypes Albertans, and it seems to have some sort of credibility because it's actually from Alberta. Uh, so when we're trying to get pipelines built, uh, when we're complaining about the carbon tax, it's easier for them to brush us off as redneck Albertans who hate Muslims, hate women, hate gays. Uh, so. So it's it's bad for Alberta in that other people can read it and, and that stereotypes us. But I don't think Albertans give it much credibility because they know what they think. Uh, so they're not too worried what the star thinks of them. I, I'm just astonishing. I mean, uh, astonished by this, uh, Keen, in terms of not knowing your audience. I mean, I think Albertans are quite used to being preached to by the media mavens based in Toronto. But when it's coming out of Edmonton, that's a bit rich. But the other point I want to make on this spin cycle, I think this is yet another piece of tangible proof that with that $595 million uh, government taxpayer-funded bailout of media companies, it's a different kind of narrative uh, that's going to emerge this year with the election coming up, isn't it, Kian? Where you even have an Alberta-based paper lecturing Albertans about their negative attitude to Mr. Trudeau because, hey, he's the one uh, signing our checks for our bailout, isn't he? Oh, that's absolutely true. I'm scrolling through the article right now, and this is staged completely as a news article. Actually, if you scroll to the top of the page, I'm going to screenshot this and send it to you because it says, subscribe now for complete progressive coverage of local, <laughs> national, and global news. This is st this is stunning. How did I not notice this? Well, but, yeah. Uh, yeah it, well, well, to yeah. quote a line from Jerry Maguire, uh, you had me at progressive. And when I say you had me at progressive, I mean, you had me at canceling my subscription uh, to the Star Metro Edmonton. <laughs> Kian, we have to wrap it here. Uh, good, good job and uh, good for you for going out and interviewing uh, the uh, common man and woman in the streets of Alberta to show that they're not a bunch of uh, racists and xenophobes and all sorts of other negative is and phobes uh, that the uh, Star Metro Edmonton is uh, painting these people as. So thank you, my friend. No problem, thanks for having me. All right, and folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
you don't really know someone until you have a few drinks with them. Well, the moral arbiters of the mainstream media and their guests showed us exactly who they were and confirmed all of our suspicions at the New Year's celebration. Let's kick things off with ya boy Anderson Cooper, who threw back shots of tequila while millions watched on. Now, I'd be tempted to give Anderson a pass if he didn't take down the shot like a 12-year-old girl choking on a box of movie theater Sour Patch. But what's even better is a few moments separated CNN contributor Randy Kay bong champagne while millions watched. Now, it's not the fact that Randy completely shows up Anderson live on TV or the fact that CNN and its host look like a college frat house bringing in the new year. It's the fact that these are the same people who decried Brett Kavanaugh an alcoholic unhinged monster for liking beer. Yeah, wait, do you remember that? I remember that. Pepperidge Farm remembers that. But not to be outdone, Anderson goes on to talk about his mother's sex life live on TV. I mean, who doesn't want to hear about that, right? Right? Can the ball please drop now? But just when you think you couldn't be more ready for 2018 to end live on TV, Chrissy Teigen goes out to throw more lighter fluid on the dumpster fire by going on a tangent about steaming her vagina. Now gather around, kids. Let's talk about appropriate conversations on TV. And bonus fail, just to, you know, get ready for the new year, actress and comedian Tiffany Haddish vowed to wear fur every day until, quote, police stop killing black people. Wait, how does that work? Are there no crimes ever? Anyway, well, maybe she didn't think that through, but she definitely didn't think through her comedy set on New Year's. That she bombed so hard, her fans actually walked out after paying and she had to publicly apologize afterwards. Ah, <sighs> what a great year, Rebels. Well, judging by the TV coverage ushering in the new year on the eve of December 31st, 2019 is certainly off to a perfect start. Um, actually, no, it's not. Because what was served up by the mainstream media on New Year's Eve was essentially a vulgar wine fest by those nattering nabobs of negativity still suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. I guess some things never change regardless of the date on the calendar. And with more on a cringeworthy start to 2019 is our Tinseltown-based rebel, Ben Davies. Hey, keeping with the spirit of the progressives, happy effing New Year to you, Ben. Oh, right. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I can't think of a better way to bring in the new year, right? <laughs> yeah, part of my French. So, Ben, whatever happened to the good old days when, you know, the new year was ushered in with some mirth and merriment via Dick Clark? Oh, yeah. Dick Clark just bringing it in. You can still hear the carols in the background. Everything's looking great and beautiful. No, now we're subject to people binge drinking on TV and doing all kinds of shenanigans, <laughs> missing the ball drop and having to tell your kids, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to talk about this tomorrow because we have to, to, to tell you what you just witnessed and explain it to you. It was absolutely ridiculous. I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it I just heard about this today, um, but Evidently, there are some websites you could visit if you had little children that fake the ball dropping on New Year's Eve. So it's like 8.30 at night and you can say, there you go, you've stayed up to midnight, now it's time to go to bed. And I guess maybe that's a prudent parental guidance suggestion given the kind of vulgarity that you had to sit through on New Year's Eve, eh, Ben? That would be a great cheat code. I never thought <laughs> that I would miss Kathy Griffin taking her shirt off on oh, New Year's, no. but somehow I did watching this. It was absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> I think it reached its high point when they brought Chrissy Teigen out 
and she started talking about steaming vaginas and how she steamed <laughs> vaginal steaming and steaming her vagina. And you see the host trying to divert, trying to end the conversation. She keeps going into it to explain this. And I can just picture the producers. One of two things are happening. Either, oh my gosh, how do we cut away from this? Or, yes, more of this, because they're just so insane over there. I, I can't believe it. And now kids are going to have to talk to their parents about what vaginal steaming is, because this family show or formerly of is no longer there. Now it's just madness on TV. Ben, that sounds, not that I have one, but that sounds incredibly painful, steaming that part of the female anatomy. Um, for what purpose does one steam uh, a vagina? <laughs> makes you ask some questions, doesn't it? It also makes you question what CNN's policy of public drinking is. What I loved about it is you have the same people that were just completely destroying Brett Kavanaugh, calling him in unhinged alcoholic monster and here you have their host acting like they're at a college fraternity new year's party taking shots of tequila and then they have uh, randy kane another contributor bonging champagne in front of them i mean it was just it was just so great it just sums up 2018 so perfectly you know isn't it amazing saying the the benchmark of uh, half a century of network tv ben how far we've devolved in terms of standards. I mean, uh, I did a commentary late last year about uh, the 50th anniversary of the first U.S. network interracial kiss between Captain Kirk and uh, Lieutenant Uhura. Um, oh, yeah. and, and that was a really big deal. And, and just in case the fecal matter hit the fan, the NBC executives had an out, which was, Oh, they were both under mind control. There's no way uh, a white captain would ever kiss a Negro uh, subordinate. Um, you know, even though uh, Kirk was going around the galaxy shagging every female alien there was in the galaxy, <laughs> in the universe. But we've gone from that kind of sensitivity, you know, and having, uh, you know, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, even though they're supposedly a married couple, sleeping in separate beds because sharing the same bed, that would be, you know, too sordid to the stuff you talk about in your commentary where, you know, people are talking about steaming their private parts for whatever reason. How, how low are we going to go in the years ahead, Ben? It's weird. Like, everything goes apparently on the left as long as they are the ones doing it. Like, as long as if, if a judge drinks in college, like, oh, my gosh, he's the worst person ever. We're going to slam shots on national TV in front of people when we should be keeping it together and keeping it classy. Likewise, like you said, all that the, the kiss and their excuse and how racist that was. And on the left now, it's like, OK, racism is totally bad. You're such a bigot. Now, all you white people get out of here, like all you people of this color, you're an idiot. You need to apologize. You have privilege. It's just like they can be racist. They can be horrible on TV. They can condescend and say terrible things, even bringing Kane Curtin on to do her New Year's resolution when she said she wants to kill the Republican Party. That's OK. But if you say anything negative, if you do anything, then you're a horrible person. We're going to call you out constantly. It's yeah. just that classic double standard on the left. Indeed, the double standard and the hypocrisy, I think, is only going to get worse as we head towards uh, the, the next U.S. federal election. But, you know, this business, uh, Ben, of um, suddenly being very flamboyant about drinking alcohol uh, on, on camera, as you said, they crucified uh, Brett Kavanaugh for his, his love for beer. And even something you didn't mention, um, good old Pocahontas was doing a New Year's Eve address where she said, you know, I, I've got to go get a beer now. And it was kind of like uh, she was reaching into her inner deplorable. You see, I'm just like one of you all, uh, you know, a good old gal that likes a beer every once in a while. What's going on here? I don't 
it's like who advises them to do this? Like <laughs> Warren, Warren is just comedy gold. Like it's just kind of be like you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm one of you kids. Let me just grab this real quick. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. But what's even the be the best part of it? I I hope she keeps doing stuff like this because I don't know if you saw the meme today that President Trump tweeted out. But it's like Warren. Born and then underneath it, it's one slash 2020, like one twenty two thousand twentieth. It's so it's like it just like when she was trying to claim Native American heritage, she was like one one thousandth. Now it's like one twenty two thousand. It's so great. I hope she just keeps just keeps putting herself in the mainstream so they can make memes about her and see how ridiculous all this is. Oh wait, wait a minute, Ben. What do you mean claim? She took the DNA test. She's one thousand two hundred and fiftieth Cherokee. I guess I'm, I think I'm Cherokee too. I once drove a Grand Cherokee made by Jeep. I guess that makes me more of an Indian than Elizabeth Warren. But And the best, the best part of that is they don't even, it could also be South American as well. You can't even like, it's, it's so, it's, it's so perfect. Like it's so stupid. I can't believe she actually put that out there for people to mock. Well, you know, Ben, I, I guess we'll have to wrap it here. I, I, you know, in one, on one hand, I'm glad I watched zero network television on New Year's Eve, but you know, now that I think about it, after looking, you know, seeing your commentary, I'm kind of looking forward to next New Year's Eve. You know, there's a certain kind of movie, I'm sure you're familiar with it, where it's so bad, it's actually brilliant. And maybe for 2019 into 2020, they're gonna reach that benchmark where it actually is so bad, it is a work of art. What do you say, my friend? I think we're definitely on that track. I don't see where else this train's going to land except right there. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, Ben, uh, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll have you on in the uh, new year. I understand you uh, you took in the, uh, the film Aquaman. Let's see if uh, DC can get a superhero movie right. And uh, all the best to you in 2019, my friend. You too, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that was Ben Davies in Hollywood. And folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. You know, the left usually hates nimbyism. You know, this idea of not in my backyard resistance. That's the sort of philosophy the deplorables embrace when it comes to, say, a safe injection site or a halfway house. Because all citizens should be welcoming of such facilities into their hoods. It's all about caring and compassion, after all, uh, even if one's property value is about to go into the dumpster. But here's the thing, what's good for the goose certainly isn't sauce for the gander, because just check out the ongoing controversy in the gentrified Toronto neighborhood of Cabbage Town. Now, once upon a time, Cabbage Town was a rundown, slummy part of the city, hence its dubious name. But that's not the case anymore. In the last few decades, Cabbage Town has been revitalized and gentrified, and it tends to exist as a progressive haven chock full of government workers and CBC types and hipsters. But now comes word that someone wants to convert her Cabbage Town house into a much needed daycare facility and whoa, hold those horses. Suddenly the enlightened and entitled people of Cabbage Town are really going to town in terms of derailing this suddenly odious idea. Indeed, the same sort of chattering classes who clamor for more daycare, especially publicly funded daycare, are now instantly appalled that such a daycare facility might end up in their precious neighborhood. I mean, think of the traffic. Think of all those snot-nosed, noisy kids. Oh, the horror, the horror. 
the trials and tribulations of the Cabbage Town meltdown were recently chronicled in Hogtown's Bible for upscale progressives, Toronto Life, which featured an article chock full of Cabbage Towners expressing dismay and disdain for a proposed daycare in their corner of Emerald City. 50-year-old librarian Bill McCaskill had this to say, quote, I'm not against the daycare, end quote. And yes, naturally, in the very next breath, Billy goes on to explain why he is against the daycare, quote, I think the parking is a legitimate concern. Even if they put in four parking spaces to drop people off, everyone knows that come drop-off time, cars are going to block Sackville because to go around to Amelia is a bit of a pain, end quote. Oh my God. I mean, think of the planet, folks. All that extra carbon, I guess. Meanwhile, Christos Doulas is surely the runner-up for most jaw-dropping comment. He's a 47-year-old mining executive. He had this to say, quote, This daycare is standard-issue capitalism run amok, end quote. Did I mention Doulas is a mining executive and he's averse to capitalism? Really? What does he mine? Pixie dust and dilithium crystals? Well, knock me down with a feather. Once again, the rank and file of Club Progressive just can't help themselves when it comes to being <laughs> shameless hypocrites, which is to say these cats are all about caring and compassion when it comes to preaching about the need for various social services coming into our neighborhoods. But when somebody has the temerity to propose a small daycare facility in their neighborhood, whoa, Nelly! Suddenly, embracing nimbyism isn't such a bad idea now, after all, is it? In any event, here's what some of you had to say about the progressives yet again demonstrating that their unofficial slogan seems to be, do as I say, not as I do. Reggie Reg writes, liberals love diversity, just not in their neighborhood. Uh, yeah, and don't forget, Reggie, while they claim to be pro-diversity, that does not include diversity of thought. 121 Jones writes, how about instead of a daycare, the city puts in housing for irregular border crossers and third world migrants into this neighborhood. They could stay there all the time and would not need to be picked up and dropped off every day. That would be okay with the people of Cabbage Town, right? Well, Jonesy, trust me, as much as those progressives love to preach that diversity is our strength, if that sort of diversity happened in this particular Toronto neighborhood, Cabbage Town would suddenly become ground zero for white flight. Jay Edwards writes, how many kids would be allowed at this proposed daycare? 10, 12, 15? So there would be, what, a dozen cars coming by in the morning and evening? Wow, what a traffic nightmare, <laughs> indeed. And who says all the clients would be driving? This is an area well served by public transit. And of course, I'm sure there are some people who live close enough who could walk to the daycare, but you're right, Jay. By blaming the, by pinning the blame rather on real or imagined traffic congestion allows the progressives to play the environment card when it comes to taking a stand against this daycare. After all, so many of the people who live there worship upon the altar of David Suzuki and Al Gore. And Casey Houston writes, 
This is exactly why we cannot take these loony leftist elites seriously. They want to appear virtuous and enlightened, but only at the expense of those who are subservient to them by offering up their tax dollars and neighborhoods. But if they actually have to make any sacrifices, then it is excuses and fake platitudes. Wow, couldn't have said it better myself, Casey. I mean, really, when you even have a mining executive referring to a small daycare operation as being akin to capitalism running amok, methinks we just splashed down on the bizarro planet. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.